0: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Hello, everybody. You are watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if we're in your ears, you're listening to us on The Coindesk Podcast Network. We are well rested after a super long weekend, we had Canada Day. 4th of July, an extra day in there just because. And we are back. We got Will Foxley, Wendy O and Adam V. Levine on the show today to talk about this crazy crypto world. So Will, I think you are kicking us off. What do you got?
3: I think Voyager Digital could have used a longer weekend as well. They're down 99% from their all time high. They're filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the Southern District Court of New York, saying that they have about 10,000 creditors that they owe money to, and they have assets between $1 and $10 billion, as well as liabilities in the same range. It's a huge blow for the firm that's actually publicly listed up in Canada. It also trades here in the United States over the counter. They are basically the fault of Three Arrows Capital. They lended out about 60% of their order book, according to some reports, to Three Arrows Capital which Three Arrows Capital also took out a large portion of other lending markets, notably Celsius is one people are looking at. It's not confirmed, but people are definitely looking at that. This is huge news just to see another lender go out, especially one that is publicly listed. Adam, I want to throw this one over to you just since you've been in the space for so long. When you're looking at some of these publicly listed firms that are now having wipeouts, what does that tell you from a traditional financial standpoint? Was it wise to list these companies when they
1: had such opaque information behind the books and behind the screen? What I can say and what I think we're all seeing is that there was a lot of much riskier behavior going on behind the scenes as the market really got to be kind of just so large, it grew so fast that as many people were kind of looking for significant returns against their crypto, that's a much easier game to play when you're dealing with smaller sort of sizes. And as those sizes got larger, we saw these companies in hindsight taking increasingly large and in also hindsight, not very good idea risk sort of moves. And now we're kind of seeing them pay for it. One other thing that I think just came out is that they have actually been halted on the exchange in which they were listed while the exchange is looking to see whether now that they have formally declared bankruptcy, they're actually qualified to be listed. So the news could get worse. It's also been kind of interesting to see the price. Price didn't really move on this. And it kind of speaks to sort of some of the enthusiasm that I think has been beaten out of these markets over the last couple of weeks, where even something like this, which I would bill as a pretty momentous sort of moment for kind of the DeFi lending players, didn't really seem to move markets at all. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Jen, what's your read?
2: Yeah, so I focused in on the marketing aspect of this story, right? So the story points to Voyager's marketing material and said that the investor deposits were protected by federal deposit insurance, corporation insurance. So that's what it said in the marketing material. And while that's true, the insurance didn't cover cash converted to stable coins. And this just, I think, is a reminder to every company in this space that marketers need to understand what's going on behind the scenes. They need to understand the products and they shouldn't be pushed to the corner and be those like crazy people who tell stories and spend a bunch of money for God knows what reason. The marketers are your first line of defense. And if they are telling an incorrect story, when things like this happen, It's just the icing on the cake when you're being scrutinized, right? And if your marketers understand what's going on, they can have plans in place for crisis situations. They can work with your PR firms. And so this story was just, I think anyone who's looking at how to do marketing well in the industry should look at what's happened here and what's happened with a lot of other firms as we head into the bear market and companies are liquidating because of three arrows capital and understand that your marketers should be involved in every single process and aspect. Of your business. But Will, I saw your hand go up.
3: Yeah, I like the point that you brought up. And I'm going to riff on it a little bit more before tossing up to Wendy. When you have this intersection of crypto, which is very laissez-faire, very free, anything goes, it's okay. The casino is embraced in a lot of ways. In traditional finance, where there are rules and regulations on the books and there is the government law and you can go to jail if you mess up things, those two things don't squish well together, right? You can't just shove them together and expect them to work functionally. And so when you go on to Voyager's website and you see that they have FDIC insurance, a lot of people are saying, oh, like my crypto is backed by FDIC. That is not the case at all. FDIC does not do that. FDIC only covers dollars. They don't even cover stable coins, right? And so a lot of these people who are walking into Voyager and they're expecting to get FDI insurance, they didn't get that. And they're not going to get that because it's only going to cover dollars that are sitting in Voyager's bank accounts on their behalf. And so it's pretty frightening if you're looking at it from an outside perspective, It's also pretty understandable if you're somebody who's a client of theirs to get caught in that trap. And then from Voyager's perspective, it's like, yes, do a better job with your marketing. Don't speak more than what you're able to do in the real sense. It's troubling to see that. I do see how it's like, that could happen though, right? Like this happens in the real world. People make mistakes with marketing campaigns. They don't check things out with legal. And then you get yourself into a world of hurt like we're seeing right now. Wendy, I'll toss it to you. And then I saw Adam's hand also go up.
0: One of the things that I want to say about this is I find it very interesting that the SEC went after a company like Ripple, but didn't really kind of do their job and try to regulate these exchanges or give some sort of gray area. I'm not blaming it on the SEC to what Voyager did with their funds behind the scenes, because all this stuff kind of just came out recently, that they were working with Three Arrows Capital or whatever the deal was, and that they were practicing risky behavior. So it's really, and I'm sure that more things are going to come out, but my question is, is why hasn't the SEC, the SEC had time to come out and to give some sort of guidelines. And it's also very interesting to me that they were a publicly listed product. You can go ahead and trade them, et cetera. And that all of this is happening now. So I know, we know that they had legal, we know that they had different people kind of helping with them and there's, they really look like a professional company. I have funds there. So I've written those funds off. I know I'm not going to get them back. It's part of the game. It is what it is, unfortunately. But I think that we know that we are going to see regulation come into the crypto space very, very heavily, but we just don't know when exactly. And hopefully they do something before the next cycle, because as far as I can see from my mentions, especially like on TikTok and YouTube, all the platforms I am, retail's tired. Retail is really, really tired. And it's just a really awful, terrible thing what's happening. And hopefully once Chapter 11 bankruptcy, once this long process is done, people can get some sort of access to some of their funds, because I know they're going to be doing different restructuring. I don't have that data in front of me right now.
1: So let me jump in here. Responses to both what Wendy said and to what Will said. Wendy, with regards to the SEC, Voyager is a company that was publicly listed in Canada. So it's a Canadian company, which means that the SEC, like depending on what type of activities they take, there are some ways for them to go after them. But it probably is a different regulator in the U.S. And again, it probably comes down to sort of this question about lending, right? Question about like bank like activities. So that might even wind up being the Federal Reserve or something like that, who actually winds up having the regulatory authority there. It definitely is something where we're going to see these types of actions catalyze more attention at the regulatory level really across the country and across the world, because it presents a pretense, which is not unreasonable to actually do so. And so again, regulators are kind of constantly looking for ways to figure out how to put the rules in place that they want in a way that they can justify. This gives them a lot of ammunition. And then one final note before we move on to the next story, Will. Actually, so I thought that I understood FDI insurance this morning when I was on the senior editor's call and had the understanding that you did. And I actually found out that I was wrong about that. And so the impression that I had going in was that crypto wasn't covered, but dollar balances would be covered if you were holding dollar balances with Voyager. In practice, that's actually not what FDIC is going to do here. Instead, what it would do is if the bank that Voyager used had failed, then it would be covered. But Voyager losing the money is not covered by the FDIC. So Ooh, even dollar holders in this circumstance are not covered by the FDIC. Yeah. And certainly to Jen's point, the way that it was portrayed certainly seems to be misleading. And again, as a reminder, I wouldn't necessarily put it on marketing. I would put it on you know, there's a lot of money to be made from helping people to understand the best possible version mm-hmm. of your product, and I think that a lot of people just fall victim to that. So this is more about that than anything else. Yeah, Wendy,
0: I just want to chime in. If it wasn't properly displayed, isn't that a legal issue with their legal department? Wasn't that? Oh, they not,
1: definitely um, have. I mean, they definitely have legal issues in their future. I think I mean, like the results yeah. of of this are going to be right. playing out in court for a while.
0: But my point was, is why? Because they have to have a legal team. All these exchanges, they have to have a legal team, especially if you want to operate in the United States. So my question is, why didn't legal advise marketing on a better way to express this to consumers through the terms of
2: services? That's a great question, Wendy. Hindsight I think is we see that happen. <laughs> we see that happen in the traditional world, but I think in the crypto world, you know, sometimes. We don't follow the same processes that
0: I, I don't. Other I don't know. I got to disagree there because a lot of the exchanges are heavy, like, I can't even say heavily regulated anymore, but that's what it seemed like. Because I've got a bunch of different legal crypto firms on retainer because I want to make sure what I'm doing is up to code. Like I'm doing everything properly because I talk about crypto all the time, but I just don't understand why... What happened? What the miscommunication was between legal and marketing? Because generally they work hand in hand to make sure what is being displayed to the public is displayed accurately and concisely.
1: So I'll just say that the math winds up making sense for there is partly about what the lawyers think. But if you try and have lawyers make these decisions, then they basically won't let you do anything. Uh, if you so, it really comes That's down to not. kind of like a business decision where it's a question of. How much are you going to listen to the lawyers? How much are you going to listen to your marketers? And where does kind of the balance fall in amongst all of that? And clearly, I think we're seeing that they made decisions that bias more towards the risky side. And I think that we're going to see that play out. But we have to move on to our next story. And it is, in fact, a related story with a twist as troubled crypto lender Celsius has been repaying some of its DeFi debt as a way to unlock collateral worth significantly more than the loans that it's paying back. Since the start of July, the company has paid down more than $180 million worth of loans taken from DeFi stablecoin issuer MakerDAO. MakerDAO is one of the longest-lived decentralized lending protocols in part because it requires borrowers like Celsius to significantly overcollateralize their loans. According to stats this morning from DeFiExplore.com, Celsius still owes MakerDAO more than $40 million to fully settle up, but if and when they do pay that back, they'll get access to some 22,000 Bitcoin held as collateral worth more than $440 million at current prices. So I think actually the question that I've been wondering here is, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Because on the one hand, it unlocks collateral, which then means that they can sell that collateral. On the other hand, it means that they at least have money to pay back these loans to unlock the collateral. So perhaps liquidity problems aren't that bad. But I, again, am pretty mixed feelings about all of this. Will, what's your read? Yeah, I want to be careful on this subject because it does get really tricky really
3: fast. And Adam, I think you're right. There's two ways of viewing this as a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is at that, that collateral level where they could be liquidated, basically where they have their collateral seized by counterparties here, the Maker Protocol, in order to take funds back and secure the protocol at the loss of Celsius itself. That limit has been lowered quite a bit to the point where it's probably safe. Like, if we see Bitcoin nuke that far south, then we have a lot of worse things to worry about, in my opinion. On the flip side, a lot of that money is still tied up, right? People want their Bitcoin back. A lot of people had Bitcoin in Celsius. They're trying to earn yield on top of it. Right now, they're likely not earning yield. I haven't looked at Celsius numbers, but my understanding is they're not paying out any yield at the moment. Big reason for that is because Celsius was playing this game with the Maker protocol, right? Where they would take Bitcoin or they take some other crypto token, plug it into the maker universe and be able to generate yield by moving the token that you get, the equivalent token that is backed by that Bitcoin or Bitcoin is backing that token and you move it all around DeFi and you get some sort of yield. But all those tokens collapsed in on themselves. They don't exist anymore. Those tokens went down 99% and they went down another 99%. You basically don't have any yield coming in for these retail clients. So then you have to go back up the stack, right? And you have this Bitcoin and this other token that's locked in as collateral. Meanwhile, you have Celsius itself, which had its cash flows dry up because they were using that interest itself also as a cash flow mechanism. They can't pay out clients. They can't pay for themselves. They're cutting jobs. And all that Bitcoin is stuck in the protocol unless they want to free themselves of it. But when you free yourself of it, then you have no way of earning any cash flows at all. Even there's a little cash flow still in it, but there's no way of earning any cash flows at all if you pull out all your Bitcoin and all your crypto tokens from something like Maker. So you're really stuck between a rock and a hard place if you're someone in Celsius right now. don't have a way to earn yield but you need to give your collateral back to people who put it into the protocol in the first place. But you still owe yield to people. So it's a tough place to be. I don't know how this works out. It seems that they're trying to hedge and trim their way out of this predicament. They're talking about restructuring. They're talking about some even some like insolvency cases with some law firms. We'll see what happens here. This is another milestone with on-chain data that we can track. For that, that's probably the most notable part is we can track on-chain what's going on with a big lending protocol like this. When do you throw it up to you?
0: So I do have funds on Celsius a little bit, but they are still paying the yield Bunny, they are you are okay?
2: Still we need to just, <laughs> you're good,
0: right? <laughs> I'm okay. So one of the strategies that we practice on my socials is we talk about utilizing a moon bag on a lot of different exchanges to earn the yield. So a moon bag is basically when you move your initial investment, when you're in profit, and then you take a little profit. So what you own, that bag you own free and clear. So if you use that on different DeFi protocols or different centralized exchanges that are offering yield, the hits aren't that hard. So it still hurts me. But at the same time, I understood the risk. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, whatever. And of course, not all of it is a moon bag. But they are still paying yield, which is interesting. And my mom does have some crypto there as well. But another thing to note, kind of back to Will's point, is that literally Celsius is fighting for their life live. We can view all of this. And we know for a fact that shady stuff happens in traditional finance. This is not new. Like The stuff that's happening in crypto happens in traditional finance. But the difference between crypto and traditional finance is, yes, there are a little bit less regulations with crypto. But you can see all of this being done transparently, which in traditional finance, you can't. When somebody makes a deal with somebody or they have a collateralized loan, whatever it is, you might not have access to view that. But we can actively see Celsius trying to do the right thing. Is it the right thing? That's debatable. But at the same time, I mean, what other option is there? And like we Will say, if we do drop to $3,000 or whatever their new liquidation price is, the whole entire, like, I can't even fathom it. Maybe in (laughs) 2017, 2018, yes, you know, we saw that $3,000 Bitcoin. Yes, I did buy the dip on that like a crazy person. But if this was to happen, if we were to get a retrace all the way to like $3,000, $4,000 Bitcoin, I can't even even fathom it. But Jen, I want to toss it to you.
2: (laughs) Okay. I hate to bring it back to marketing and communications, but I went to the Celsius website before the show started to see like, what's going on there? What are they saying? And a pop-up box comes up and it says, you know, we're working on a new website. Some products are not available. And then you end up on their website, which still is advertising up to 18.63% API with the subhead, transfer your crypto to Celsius and you could be earning up to 18.63% API in minutes. Read the room, Celsius. I think that there should be information where, where that old headline is that just tells people what's going on. You know, even if there's not that much to communicate, acknowledging what's going on, what the next steps are for people who have funds frozen on the platform. And if there are no next steps, let people know, like we're working on some next steps. We hear you. You are our customers who trusted us with your funds. We hear you. We're still here. We haven't gone anywhere yet. I think that would be. Very smart, but obviously the marketing department is maybe working on some other crisis, but we'll leave it there. So we are talking about Web3 smartphones. Polygon is jumping on the bandwagon in a new partnership with tech startup Nothing. The partnership will see the Android-based Nothing phone offer NFTs that offer perks to the community, like early access to products and events. I'm sure there are some other features for this phone that they just have not advertised yet. So we're just going to talk about NFTs. But I think a few weeks ago, we saw Solana announced that they are launching a Web3 phone. So people can access dApps and vaults for their secret phrases. But Adam, we've spoken about blockchain phones making a revival on this show before, and we have not yet heard your opinion. So I'm going to kick it up to you first. Do you think that these can finally become a thing?
1: I mean, I think that there'll be a thing insofar as that people will buy them. There will be discussion about them. Really, when I see a story like this, I kind of draw back the lens and view it in the, the bigger battle that I think is happening here. And that bigger battle really is a battle between all of these would-be you know, Ethereum challengers. There's a huge, huge market to be made in making the pitch that your ecosystem is the most full-featured, the most supportive, has the most money in it, the most buyers in it. And right now, when I look at that contest, I see Polygon on one side it's doing a pretty good job, and I see Solana on the other side. And then I see a lot of other projects that are probably somewhere just underneath those. But I think that that kind of is the story here. Really, what we're seeing is this conflict ramping up between Solana, FTX backed Solana on the one side and Polygon, which has, I believe, backing from A16Z, stuff like that might also be FTX backed. They'd like to bet on all the horses. But that's sort of the story that I see here. It's a lot less of a phone and it's a lot more about the headline that they can then bring to you as a way to attract talent, money and resources into their ecosystem. But Wendy, I'm curious, what's your read on this one?
0: So as far as this goes, I remember back in 2018, 2017, there were all these different crypto phones that came out. And I can't even remember one project that had one because there were so many. One thing I will say is we covered this on my show yesterday, and I'm leaning more towards the Polygon phone over the Solana phone. And the only reason why is because the Poly... And this is not financial advice, guys. I'm not telling you to buy Polygon, Solana, whatever it is. Too and late. I do hold. I already both. bought it. Damn! So, and you bought it. You bought it on quick. Voyager 2, right? Will right? <laughs> or Celsius? But anyways, yeah, um, I like it to feel, have Collateral. It seems. <laughs> it seems like the Polygon phone is more affordable, and it's actually on, I think it's on an HTC phone. I don't think either phone will be available in the US. I don't know if that's correct or not, but it feels like the Polygon phone, you can still utilize Solana apps on that, like Phantom wallet or whatever it is, which I don't recommend that in any way, shape or form. People are going to do what they're going to do. And the Solana phone is just for Solana. So that's kind of my take on that. I think both are really strong projects. I think both will sustain, hopefully sustain <laughs> this bear, this very, very, very bearish time, but. I think that these actually might have a chance as opposed to what we saw back in 2018. And Will or Jen, who wants this? Go first. I'll wrap it up. Okay, I'll take it.
3: I'll take it. The interesting thing to me, and I'm going to take this a totally different direction than talking about the phones, is that the winners can keep winning, or at least they can continue to experiment and try to stay on top. So Solana, huge network, came out of nowhere over the last few years and has done incredibly well. Uh, They're probably the second next to Ethereum in terms of smart contract chains. Some might dispute that, but I think that's pretty fair to say. Polygon as another dApp on Ethereum, as a layer two on Ethereum, and also as its own independent chain of sorts, also has been a huge winner. A lot of people use Polygon. Like I think at one point it had like more transactions than Ethereum was getting. Like it's a clear winner out of this bull market in a lot of ways. And so the winners of those protocols get to keep innovating, get to keep building and go onwards. There's going to be a lot of losers out of this crash. Most chains will not make it. Most devs will move on to another project. Most concepts will be dropped. But the winners, they can take all that cash and move it on to another project. And maybe those projects fail, maybe they succeed, but at least they have another chance at creating and innovating something else. So it's interesting to see how you can leverage one bet into multiple bets, even if it's in a completely different sphere of concepts, like from an L1 to building your own smartphone. Jen, I'll give it to you.
2: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about these phones in the in the current <laughs> state <laughs> that we're in. I've said this before. I mean, when it comes to mainstream adoption, this means people are going to have to be carrying around two phones. And are these really Web3 phones where I'm going to make calls and access all of the Web2 apps that have integrated completely into my life along with my Web3 apps? Or am I going to be now carrying around multiple devices for multiple chains? Because we all know like, who is just using products on one chain? I just feel like there are so many things to work out if these devices are to actually work. That said, I do think that we need mobile devices for the dApps and products that are being built in Web3. I just think we have a long way to go. But I don't know. Maybe I'll start carrying around two phones. Maybe I'll do you that for the cool. hash and I can give you, you guys a weekly update. You got to be like,
0: I have a million phones.
2: Got a million phones, one for each chain. It's, it's just this is just what I carry Whoa. around with me. I have more around the office. Wendy's than like other a rapper. Places.
0: Yeah, oh impressive. God. For I won't carry on about that thing because yeah, we'll talk about that another day. Anyways, can we talk about my story? This is kind of a happy one. Well, kind of, sort of happy, but not really happy. Anyways, crypto fundraising after end of row. Tippid. I hope I pronounce that properly. So far. So straight from the article here, and I actually like this article, we've talked about different charitable aspects that can occur in crypto and kind of bringing communities together from all across the world. But basically, there's a couple different projects that are trying to do good things for people that could be impacted in specific states because of Roe versus Wade. And it's a very interesting thing that, well, it's a very unfortunate thing that's happening with some of the recent headlines, but there was Choice DAO and they wanted to go ahead and create a DAO to raise money for reproductive right organizations. And then there was LegalAbortion.eth, which was an initiative by Unicorn Dow. And basically, you can send crypto donations to pro-choice groups. And then, of course, Dow, which is selling an NFT collection to raise funds for abortion access with a goal of $3 million. Whether you agree with this or not, I think that we can all come together and say that crypto can be used for the greater good to help raise funds and awareness for different aspects or different social issues that may occur. We saw this with Ukraine and we've seen I've actually personally raised close to $70,000 for local nonprofit community center, the self-care lab mostly with crypto donations. And they use mental health. It's a form of therapy for inner city kids and people like myself. So I think crypto is a great tool for that. And I would like to actually hand this over to Adam.
1: For me, the kind of interesting story here, again, draws back to sort of the the basics, which is that for as long as people have been doing DAOs, and I think the first paper about, at the time they were called uh, Distributed Autonomous Corporations, was published back in 2013, People have been on the one hand really kind of entranced with the idea and have attempted to do many different things with it. And on the other hand, it's actually kind of struggled to find a real utility that goes beyond, you know, like creating a big pile of money in a smart contract that you can then distribute using the people who put that money in to help make the decisions about how you're going to distribute it. So I think in the context of what we're talking about here, there's two interesting things. One is that. This is a political issue. And I think that it's interesting to see politics make their way into the world of cryptocurrency, which has typically been very libertarian and kind of hands-off, not so much about social issues, but about like, what is the government's role in things and especially the federal government. So I think that's an interesting element. And then the other thing that jumped out at me is that the people who are behind this DAO, who are also behind the Constitution DAO and a couple of other DAOs out there too, which was somewhat interesting to me, the Ukraine DAO, I think as well. So I think that there's also just this group of people who are, have figured out, you know, we can use DAOs as a vehicle to raise money for things that we care about. And they're now going around and doing that and sort of perfecting their craft. So that's interesting, too. And, you know, again, if we can figure out ways for DAOs really to kind of be meaningful and be better than the alternatives, then that's fantastic. And frankly, I don't really care what, you know, what issue we find that around. It's all about utility to me. Jen, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so I think over the past year, we've seen that DAOs and NFTs have enabled people to really pile a bunch of money together very quickly and then do things with that money in a really transparent way. To see the fundraising for this be so slow in comparison to Ukraine DAO, the COVID-19 relief we saw in India, I think is partially credited to the market and the psychology around the markets, right? When we saw crypto being raised for the Canadian truckers in Canada, we saw a lot of onboarding for people who had never used crypto before, getting involved, opening wallets, getting money to the people who they wanted to get the money to. I think when the market is down and people feel like they are less rich, although they're still holding the same coins in their wallet, they are maybe less likely to contribute that money to something they would consider philanthropic. And someone who's never used crypto before may be reluctant to just given the headlines we're seeing. So I think that maybe partially why this has gone a little bit slower than we're used to. But Wendy, I'll give you last words before we wrap.
0: I just want to say it's probably because of what this is going to raise money for, because there's a lot of interesting things that do happen in crypto on a daily basis. I won't get into that on this show, but it's probably because of that particular cause. And again, also people, you know, at the current market.
2: Well, we got to leave it there. It was nice seeing you guys again. And thank you, everyone, for watching. We had Wendy O. on the show today, Adam D. Levine, and Will Foxley, and we'll see you all tomorrow.
0: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. With Chime secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stripe Bank N.A. members of FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.